0: Welcome to Challenging Behaviours, the podcast that challenges behaviours towards disability in society today. Wow! I bet. That, was, that was new. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? He's not on a T-shirt. This is, a verb. this is an audio medium. Don't start nodding. What do we uh, just do? What do we just do? We just spoke to Adam Pearson who is an actor, uh, activist, um, presenter. presenter. Uh, we had a really good chat. We were chatting about um, representation in like films and television. Uh, we kind of started talking about, um, I've already forgotten what's the film? Come As You Are, uh, a film that's caused quite a stir in their decision to cast non-disabled actors in disabled roles so we kind of start with that and then we just kind of oh well, we hit quite a few different targets really all within yeah. the world of film and television but you know we talked about, about offense and um, um like the the casting kind of process and those kinds of things so um yeah really interesting chat um i think there's a couple of swears in there so you know Pay yourself for that, you know. Put your seatbelt on, Uh, ask any uh, children or sensitive adults to leave town. Yep. All right, let's listen, shall (laughs) we? Let's get over this. See you on the flip side. See you on that other side from which the podcast has been flipped. We'll be there. We'll be there. as you are coming out basically you know it's a conversation that seems to come up every few months when a film of that kind of nature um comes up and uh, i saw that the kind of the threads you'd written about it on twitter and um what's the word pinned and i thought that was like really great kind of going through all those different points it'd be great to just kind of chat through some
1: of those absolutely no problem at all i think it's a really important discussion because it is a discussion. And I, I as someone who's done off camera and on camera, I'm not blind to the industry to how the industry works and and the harsh facts, but I'm also at a point where a lot of the excuses or reasons that the industry give are very half baked. And when you have films where um quipping up occurs and they get reviews from um, movie uh, journalists doing massive air quotes. They, they hold them up as good, honest, and authentic portrayal. And my question is always, what's your frame of reference for that statement? Mm. If anyone says that um, De Niro's portrayal in *A Saint of a Woman is powerful, powerful, authentic, and accurate, my first question is, how many Italian American blind perfumists do you personally know? What's your benchmark for accuracy? Because if the answer's one, A, I'll be stunned, and B, I'll be stunned.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, I'm a little bit off track here. It's said for the woman, the one who's he's all like, <laughs> Is that said of a woman? I can't remember, but that's immediately what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Would would you mind uh, quickly um, just introducing yourself uh, so people know who you are?
1: Well, if they don't know who I am, then how very dare they? Quite frankly, <laughs> um, no. Um, my name is Adam Pearson. I am a TV presenter, actor, campaigner, and a few other bits and pieces. Hailing from sunny sunny Croydon in London, I'm most known for being in Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson but I have done other stuff since. It just wasn't as prominent, shall we say.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and you've made quite a few uh, different documentaries and you also work on the Undatables as well, is that correct, as a researcher?
1: Yeah, I, I for the first six series, I've taken that a step back um, as of late. But I helped with the casting for six, the first six of the Undateables, the good ones, yeah. as, as I like to call them.
0: Yeah, we actually we did an episode about the undateables right towards the beginning, didn't we?
1: Yeah, um, we
0: did.
2: We had quite a big discussion about it.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: that seems like ages ago now,
0: though. It does, um, and it was interesting because I hadn't seen it at all. T- Tom had seen a few, and then uh, another person called Adam, weirdly. Uh, he he like loved it, so it was really interesting seeing like what preconceptions. Uh, I kind of had about it and um how they were challenged and things like that um it was really cool but we're already getting offhand, and it might be record timing for us doing that um so yeah um when it comes to films like come as you are there's there often seems to be at least in my opinion like two kind of camps where some people are saying this is like you were just saying this is great because you know a disabled story is being told and then the other camp is going well it's great it's being told but it's not being told by people with disabilities um and one of the things i saw i think you were in oh, i think it was you might have been discussing this with sally phillips and it was something i was really curious about um and it so said one of the arguments the film has made is saying they didn't have enough time to cast people with disabilities and not knowing anything about the film industry at all. I'm curious what that means, like not having enough time to cast people with disabilities. I don't, I, don't, I find that a difficult thing to kind of com- compute.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what that normally means is, and, and it, it varies, if you're casting a very specific um, disabled character with a very specific condition, then that argument might hold water. But in this case, they were, they were going for muscular dystrophy, blindness, and learning difficulties, which are relatively common conditions to find. So in this instance, I think when they're saying we didn't have time, what they really mean is we couldn't be bothered to look.
2: Mm. So in terms of the two camps that Jack's just mentioned, this idea that some people... Saying this is great because the story is being told, and then other people are saying it's not being told, or um, as you said, it's not being told sort of truthfully because it's not involving disabled people. Where do you? How do you feel about that discussion and debate then?
1: I I sit somewhere in between. I think because the worst thing that can happen is this just becomes a ridiculous, overly um overly woke witch hunt, and then disabled stories just don't get told at all. But by the same token, it is not an alarmist statement to say that in terms of representation and disability, not just within film, but within the media, we're nowhere near where we need to be. So it's all about finding that happy middle ground and enabling the conversations where we can help the industry move forward. And I don't think yelling and and cursing on Twitter or on hashtag boycotts Mm-hmm. is is necessarily helpful
0: yeah i re- I really agree with that and it's one of the things that's kind of led to me um not being on our kind of um our podcast twitter as much but it's just seeing all the the kind of discourse and kind of um i don't i don't like the word infighting but you know there's so much kind of criticism of each other when I think in a way, everyone's working towards the same goal, but just maybe not in the same way. And I find that really difficult to kind of see on a daily basis. Um, And as one of the, you know, probably one of the barriers in, you know, making progress in, um, you know, this kind of area and like representation in films and things, uh, that the discussion can't really happen because as you say, it's not a discussion,
1: it's just yelling at each other. Yeah, and there's also a lot of almost quite weird infighting within the, uh, the disabled community about things like person first language and, and what have you. And whilst there's certainly a time and a place for that, and it's important, and all medical models, social models, yada, 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 can we just get the legal equality thing sorted out first? Let's do the important stuff. And then we can have these sort of peripheral conversations at, at a later date. But it does often just degenerate into, into yelling. And also, I, I miss doing due diligence, going away and having an opinion, going and doing some research to make sure you're right or that what you're saying is true, and then coming back with, with the advent of social media. And, I, and I, I'm very much preaching to myself here. Everything's become very shotgun, and everyone wants to throw their opinion out as quickly as possible. And it's also very hard to have long-form debate on Twitter. You've got that very finite character amount. And if you can't get it said in that, then you're probably not going to bother bother saying it. And it's also hard to read So if you read something aggressively, even though it's not meant aggressively you're instantly going to be in that headspace. And it's, it's a dangerous place to try and have this debate online. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think um, the tone thing is really key as well, because it's sometimes people get shut down when they're asking quite genuinely intrigued, like interested questions, and then it mm-hmm. comes across as being sort of sarcastic. Or we were just reading through the comments on the Guardian article about that comes are movie. And there is a, there's quite a mix of people who, have either got really strong viewpoints. And then there's also some people who are just genuinely saying, I've never really thought about it like this. Does this mean X? But that's gen- like we have to engage with people who might not know why having no disabled actors in that movie might not be the best thing. And you've got to come at it from the right point of view, like you say, because people are some a lot of people just want to learn about it and aren't told why it's wrong. So I think it's um Thanks. Completely,
1: completely. And that, that's the argument. I mean, I, I haven't read the, the Guardian article, but I'm assuming a lot of the um, comments you are referring to fall into the vein of isn't acting pretending to be something you're not. And in, and in, in many cases, I, I agree. Though, when it comes to things like disability, we're very much talking about protected characteristics. In, in 1965, Laurence Olivier blacked up and played a cello and won an Oscar for it. And that is a, a piece very much of its time. Does that kind of thing belong in 2020? Probably not. And here, here's a, a fun fact for you that, that demonstrates the, the disparity that I'm, I'm talking about when I... Because inequality is a massive word to throw around if you can't, if you can't back it up. In the 91-year history of the Academy Awards, there have been 61 nominations for Best Actor or Actress based on portrayal of disability. Yeah. Of that 61, there have been 25 Oscars awarded. And of those 25, only two of them have been given to disabled actors. The most recent one was in 1987 to Marley Matlin, children of a lesser god, and since then it's all been playing disability. It's almost seen as an Oscar grab, yeah, to do
2: it. That, yeah, that that was um. I think I've heard that sort of Oscar grab phrase before because of the amount of people that yeah they they the pinnacle of their acting career is when they portray someone with a disability. Yeah, um, which is it's, bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's something you see kind of like made fun of a lot in like different things as well. So like uh oh what's that christopher guest film uh for your consideration like um someone someone's playing someone with chronic illness so they very much in them. i mind that uh, you know i'm this is oscar worthy because i'm portraying someone who has a chronic illness um and um oh that ben silver one uh tropic thunder um which is yes
1: i are oh, so good it, it demonstrates my point so well and the, word, the, the liberal use of the word retard or Danny Juniors, what do you mean you people? Like, that, that film holds a mirror up to Hollywood mm-hmm. and says, do you realise how ridiculous we all are?
0: Yeah. But what's, one thing I, I've, I've kind of witnessed about that film in particular is some, some of the audience don't understand that's what it is. And they think the joke is that people are using the R word all the time. And that's a funny thing to do. Like I've been in a pub quiz where someone has taken the line where he says, uh, you never go full R word. And that was their name in the pub quiz. And the pub quiz man was just happily reading that out. Like it was nothing. And I was, you know, I was there with some colleagues and we work uh, like Uh, for a charity uh, that supports people with disabilities and we were you know we we challenged it straight away and I had this great idea for a challenge which I wish I'd done at the time was like what if they'd taken a quote from a film that um, used the n-word would you have read it out Um, and I really wish I'd thought of that at the time as a way of kind of talk about that so there's there is a danger as well in kind of holding up that mirror that people don't realize that's That's what it's doing. It's just, it it does look like it can be just making fun.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think, particularly in the diversity diversity argument, disability is often placed at the bottom of the totem pole and it is an afterthought. Even in the non media corporate world, 90% of companies claim they care about diversity, but only 4% do disability.
0: Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's a phrase you get, you hear a lot is the, I, I don't like it, but like, the forgotten minority. It, 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 it rings so true, though. It's like, it's hard to deny that that is the fact. That is, you know, that's what disability is. It's just forgotten.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also it's often seen as a risk. That's the word that gets thrown around a lot, that although oh, it's a risk because there are no disabled actors to sell this movie like point point one who sorts that that puts the cart way before the horse and how are disabled actors ever going to become big names unless they are put in roles to practice their craft learn their craft and become household names and then when people say that for particularly in reference to to come as you are And I I make this counter-argument with the greatest respect to to all those involved. If you need names to sell a movie, can you name any of the three male characters, (laughs) any of the male actors in that movie, and anything they've done?
2: No, no. That's a very good point. (laughs) No disrespect.
1: I only know who who Grant is because he came at me on Twitter.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Really? Um, Just... Not specifically about come as you are, but just in general, from your own experiences in the industry how when someone like grant who when these guys make this movie and it gets all this publicity, how does that make you feel as someone who works in the industry and then when they sort of come at you on Twitter as well, does it just feel a bit like mm. people people just seem to benefit off doing these sorts of movies without having any sort Good of question. any sort of thought about people in the industry trying to make it?
1: <coughs> I, yeah, I, the, I don't know what the level of engagement with the disabled community was in America, but over here, it was, like, literally non-existent. And I think that that is another key thing, is that if you're telling stories about disability, at least have disabled voices feeding into it. And I know that Come As You Are is based upon um, Asta Philpott's actual real world, real world story. But you can't then point back to one individual mm. and hold them up as the voice of the community because they aren't. No more than I'm, no more than a film about me would be representative of, of all disabled people. In fact, if there was a film made about me and it was held up as the voice of disability, that's, that's a bad thing. That everyone thinks that all disabled people complete Final Fantasy 7 in a day, or play Magic: The Gathering semi-pro, or semi-pro, or, or wow. drink fruity ciders. Like no, that, that, that's horrible. And so you need to represent disability in in all of its glory and all of its aspects. And in order to do that, you need to have disabled voices behind the camera. Mm. Otherwise, you're only going to be playing the tropes that you've learned from other movies with not disabled people in them. Have yeah. so,
0: if you, if you ever seen um, any kind of or so like TV or film where you thought, yeah, they, those guys have got it, they've done it how it should be done?
1: At the risk of plugging my own stuff. <laughs> Change for life. Is very good. Like predominantly disabled cast, the the writer was born with a bilateral cleft palette, Aaron Schimberg, so he knows the area really, really well, and it just shows that it it can be done
2: yeah. as a
1: proof of concept. It's it's genius, and all all the scripts is is written with kind of humanising disability at the forefront, and because it's meta. It flicks between what the Hollywood tropes are and what the reality is, and bounces them off each other really well. It's very much a filmmaker's film. Hmm. And unless you're completely okay with the areas of disability, cinema, and representation, a lot of it might fly right past you. But for people in the know, it's a really clever commentary on the history of disability and representation in film
0: yeah so there's no like there's no like main like for a word like like a mainstream blockbuster summer hit that's ever really come close to it that i can think of at least like all the kind of best exi- that that is at least in my opinion that i can think of have been kind of tv series rather than films um we had uh we've had rj mitty on before from um breaking bad um and it's interesting how, you know, he himself has a disability, but he didn't have the same mobility issues as his character Walt Jr. did. So he, even though he himself has cerebral palsy, he still had to kind of add to that to make it more. You know, there it has. To, it's almost like there has to be a, a visible element to it as well. Um, like, so you find say things like people with like invisible disabilities and things like that very, very rarely get any representation at all. Um, you know, you've got a few things now. they are, very, oh, what's it called? The A-Words? on the yeah. BBC. It's about autism. And there's a new mm-hmm. sitcom coming out, I think, that has David Tennant and someone. I don't even know about that. And yeah,
1: then... that that's, that's got a non-autistic actor in it, from what I understand, oh, yeah. playing autistic.
0: Yeah. And then there's that Netflix one. I can't remember what that's called. Which is interesting where... The main character is a non-autistic actor, but he, there are other actors in it that do have autism and other learning disabilities. Now, it's interesting why they feel like they can do that with the supporting characters, but not the main one.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. And, and th- there might also be legitimate reasons where it's an important conversation to have. Because as someone who's done leading male work, it is gruff. Those are long days. Hmm. And so there are some disabilities where people get either really fatigued or really anxious to the point where they may be unable to, to meet the demands of the role. And that's not to say they should instantly be dist- um, excluded or, or discounted. And I think reasonable adjustments should be made in dealing with, with any talent, not just disabled talent. So again, it's a really interesting conversation to be having. And the industry is normally really defensive about it. Yeah,
2: um, I was just when you say that the industry is really defensive about it, what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, just as someone who doesn't know a lot about the industry, um, whereas you you're a bit of an in, so I feel like
1: <laughs> um, absolutely. So you you normally get these really cut and paste replies with um excuses such as we didn't have time to find. Disabled actors and, and very, very rarely do you get an email going, "We did not think about this, yeah, we have actually effed up here i I get to read an email like that. There was a BBC drama that was on um, being made about a famous disabled historical person, and I emailed saying, "Oh, did you audition any disabled actors?" And they emailed back the electric company saying, no, we gave it straight to this guy because he liked it. And he's from Yorkshire, like this individual was. And I I replied going, not to nitpick, but that individual is from Leicester. And they're they're three hours apart in the car if you speed the whole way. And so a lot of the defences and excuses when put under scrutiny don't really hold much water in... In my opinion,
0: so that, that you could say that about like any industry of disability, like like in healthcare, like different businesses in terms of employment, there's pretty much always going to be that sort of response, isn't it? Mm. Um, and you know, shit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's rubbish. I think um, again, just looking at this from the two different standpoints of you being part of the industry and us as just people who consume media but not as involved i just think because i as some as someone who cares about disability rights and it's a big part of my life and big part of jack's like i feel like we often if if a new film comes out like when this comes you are thing came up it's like you might i might ping it over to jack or he might message me and we'll go oh this has happened again oh that's quite annoying i just won't watch the movie or something like that but i feel like i just just getting my head around it again because you actually work in it it must be so infuriating to be Someone really in in and campaigning around that specific area of it that these films just keep keep happening, and I just basically how do you, how do you manage to sort of not just get fed up with it? All? I, would, I I'm surprised you've got such a positive outlook about the, right. I guess you're in very good movies you've said, but I mean I would just be infuriated trying to work alongside that.
1: Uh, there are moments when one does pull their hair out and I feel like they are bashing their head against a brick wall and And you know i I have moments there are there's a whole contingent of disabled actors who either meet up on zoom meetings or meet up for coffee and just curse out our our industry and and let our frustrations be very much known to one another and I think in those private moments in private conversations that's completely fine, but then when you come back to talk to the industry, hostility <clears throat> won't won't help that won't endear you to to anyone and if I want to encourage people to work with disabled actors or listen to disabled actors I need to make them realize that it's going to be beneficial to them and if I go up and say here's a really angry guy in a wheelchair listen to him they're going to be like no he's angry he's going to be a pain in the ass." Whereas if you can come at it from a position of correcting them with, I guess, love and showing them that this is beneficial for everyone. Because all relationships in business, as well as in in, in the personal world, need to be mutually beneficial. And it's highlighting what those mutual benefits are and also not being a dick about it. Yeah, yeah that is,
2: that's, um, I hadn't, that's... I hadn't thought about it, it as actually because you're part of the industry as well, there's relationships to uphold with certain people that, as you say, might not necessarily get it. It's, um, it's not an easy one. Yeah. Does it, does that mean that it, when it does work and you make a movie like the one you mentioned or um, any of the ones that you've been in and you felt really happy about, it must feel great when you kind of prove to people that this is what we should have been doing the whole time. And we, look how good these movies are that I'm in or my colleagues are in.
1: Yeah, there is that proof-of-concept moment. Yeah. But then it gets a bit... um, As I say, on one hand, you've got the I told you so aspect of it, but on the other, not everyone will see those movies. Mm -hmm. And it gets to the point where you ask the question, what do disabled actors have to do to prove to you that we're, we're worth a go? And how much longer do we need to have this conversation? before it gets taken, taken seriously. And I think it's a problem that starts very much at the top. I think it's a problem with kind of financing. I think there's a problem with um, disabled creators being given the same opportunities as, as their non-disabled counterparts. I think there's a real systemic thing that people aren't thinking about because there are no disabled people in in powerful positions. To, to make decisions or to hold people to account and it, it really does need to be to be discussed.
2: Yeah I think that's one of the things that we've come across quite a lot in all the different guests we've had and lots of the different topics we've done is again it come, a lot of it comes back in all these different aspects of disabled life is the the lack of representation across the board in high up positions or places of influence just leads to these situations where no matter how many people agree with you or on or or have the same view as any of us it, the people with the influence just don't get it or don't want to get it or don't take the time or bother to do it if anything and that's it's almost like there's that this wall that you just hit at some point where it's just like how do we get past that and that happens seems to happen in all areas which is just sort of beyond belief at this point when you talk about, when people talk about how far we seem to have come as a society. And it's bizarre.
1: Well, every generation says that they're the most diverse or, or, or woke generation. Like it's something to, to hang their hat on when, when it really, really isn't. Um, to all the millennials listening to this, in 30 years time, you'll be looking at your younger generation just shaking your head. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, vegans, um, but no, it is about opening, opening the floodgates slightly and having those disabled voices at, at the table and it it's, it all comes down to equality of opportunity. I have no interest in equality of outcome. I have no interest in positive discrimination or disability just for the sake of, of disability. Like in most things, if you can't do the job, you shouldn't be in the building. Though, how accessible is your building to begin with, both, both physically and, and culturally? And I, you know, I've, 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 I've got my stripes. I know, I know my worth and I know my industry. And so who is there in the higher ups of the film industry or the TV industry who's batting for disability? Who has the knowledge, the experience and the expertise in disability. I I have yet to get coffee with them and I've had coffee with a lot of people mm. at most TV channels by now.
2: Yeah, I think um, one thing I did want to ask about which you mentioned then um, is this sort of like tokenism thing and how you feel about having disability for the sake of having someone with disability which can be criticized quite a lot and just to sort of so that channel 4 looks good or BBC looks good in some way and like reminded me of um there's like a a, that Dave Britts performance but he says something along the lines of like equality is a right so it doesn't deserve credit and like I've just wondered how you felt about the whole sort of tokenism because you've just said then that it's equality of opportunity as opposed to outcome so just if you could elaborate on that
0: I also wonder, like, have you ever been asked to do something and you felt that that's why you've been asked that, you know, people have been trying to, you know, get that box ticked or whatever?
1: Oh, yeah, I get I get thrown onto panels all the time to talk about, whenever there's, like, a disability story in the news, invariably I or one of my friends will get put on, like, I don't know, Lorraine or, or Jeremy Vine or, or something like that to to speak for our people. <laughs> and, I, and whilst I think there's certainly a time and a place for it, and I think it's better to have that voice than, than to not have it, sometimes I question the choice of voice that, that goes on. Again, throwing any disabled person on might be counter counterproductive. And the, the outcome versus opportunity thing is really, really important. Because if you do go down the equality of outcome route and end up putting disabled people in power just to tick a box and it turns out that those disabled people aren't very good at their job because like, like most people in life, some disabled people are great, hey yo, but right. some are going to be assholes. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, exactly. We, we've, all, we've all met them. We're all probably talking about the same guy, but just don't want to say their name. And yeah, and that that's equally as dangerous. Having useless disabled people, no offence, in positions of power is probably worse than having no disabled people in positions of power, because then everyone else can point to that and be like, we told you this wouldn't work. And it's like because yeah, you picked the wrong person. We're not all like that. I promise. That's
2: no. That's um. Yeah, I think that's like an interesting part of it. The the, the phrasing as well. I just hadn't thought of it in the equality of opportunity like phrasing. Just yeah, made me um, made me wonder. I oh, going.
0: Uh, um, going back to kind of uh the roles you've taken on, Adam. I'm curious uh if you've when you've been in things where maybe you know, like Under the Skin, where, you know, disability isn't like the main kind of overriding kind of story, like how much mm-hmm. input do you get on how you're being represented?
1: I, I always like it when they have disabled actors playing roles where disability isn't their raison d'etre and their reason to be there, and it's just in, incidental. I also think that the script is the script and the character is the, the character. And I, I don't want to discredit an audience and say that they can't separate fiction from reality. For example, if I were to be in, say, Lord of the Rings, as a bad guy because disfigurement, duh. Um, on, on one hand, I think it's really important to have the, the debate about tropes and lazy writing and what have you. But I also think it's important that we don't assume that an audience are idiots and just because they see me in Lord of the Rings, that when they see me in real life, they're going to start hiding their jewellery in case I steal it and take it to Mount Doom. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I take it all on like a case-by-case basis. And with Under the Skin, we spoke about the character um, a lot. Because the, the, I, I, me, Jonathan Glazer, and Scarlett sat down and had a couple of, like, chats over over tea and lunch and what have you. And they asked if, if someone like Scarlett's character pulled up to me in a van and said, do you want a lift? Would you get in? And my initial response was, no, that's how children go missing. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it was about how do we add layers to kind of almost get your character in a van and soften you to the point where you can then soften her? And how do do we make this interaction feel human without making it feel either forced or like a caricature of like me before you or, or something really unorganic? And how do we take it away from other kind of nonsensical portrayals of disability in other films which we're purposely trying to avoid?
2: So, no, I, was, I was just thinking about that generally but like, that is quite a difficult um, thing to navigate I guess especially and it's quite I think I don't, well, I don't know how, how was it to have a kind of team and cast and stuff who, like you say you went for coffee and spoke a lot about the character is that quite reassuring for you before you go into the movie then? is that is that the ideal
1: well, I, I was reassured from the point go when they said that the, the director didn't want to use prosthetics and they actually wanted a, an, an actor or an individual with a, a disagreement to be in the film. I was, from, I was like, A, he gets it. And also, I'd written pa- when I did my business degree, I'd written papers on his advertising work for, for Guinness and, and Levi. So I knew he was a really switched on, like really aware director. And then, you know, he's still a good mate of mine. And I think it's all about cultivating relationships of of trust, Mm -hmm. which again is a a communication thing where if if all disabled actors are on Twitter, you're getting at the industry with fear, loathing, and suspicion. That's not a good starting point to build a relationship from. Whereas if, if you read my thread, it's very much saying, here's the conversation, here are the arguments, here's why they're wrong let's all talk about this, come at it from like an honest loving perspective where as I say you're correcting people with good intentions and some people want to engage, some people completely get the conversation and those are people I I want to talk to but the people that as I said write back and are like so only rapists can play rapists like number one, James is comparing me to a rapist, I love you too and number two, you clearly don't get it, and you—you know—you're clearly either a massive Brian Cranston fan or a massive Robert De Niro fan, who feels aggrieved and takes those insecurities elsewhere.
0: Mm. Yeah, I. So I don't know how accurate this is, and it's a real kind of sad uh, look at the level of research that we do here. <laughs> but on your uh, Wikipedia page, oh yeah. I looked at your Wikipedia. Um, that's probably as far as much research. I mean, we read a book, and, and we went on Wikipedia. That's all we've done. Uh, uh, and it says you would be interested in playing a Bond villain. I'm wondering, a, if that's even true, <laughs> and b, where you stand. So, as you were saying, like people kind of may have, you know certain roles which they would be like only you can play a villain kind of thing and um, a lot of people you know a lot of people criticize you know those most films that have like a clear villain or say for example one of their henchmen uh you know for often having some kind of uh disability um so wondering what your thoughts are on that
1: it's a really really tricky line to walk because with, with Bond, we've now got the third bad guy in a row with a scar or a disfigurement. Because writing for bad guys, that's what it's become now in, in that universe. And on one hand, it's a really unhelpful trope that can have dangerous real-world effects if left unbalanced. I don't think we should abolish it. I love a trope as much as the next person. But where's the good guy with with the scar? So that, that's where I am on that. But as an actor, bad guy roles are just so meaty and fun to play. Like, I get to turn up to work. I get to be an arsehole. I get to get paid. I get to go home. Who doesn't want that?
0: Yeah. Now, I'm quite a big James Bond fan. Um, and I've always, there's something I have noticed. Um, so not in terms of just disfigurement, but other characters they've had who are often like henchmen. Their, their disability is often their strength. So there's one guy who has like a, his claw as a hand, and of course there's jaws with the teeth, which is almost weirdly like, well, they're showing that disability, uh, people with disabilities can be really strong. Um, so there's a weird kind of, they're always the villain, but they could easily do the same thing um, with someone else who's just kind of helping him out same with any kind of um, you know big films. And uh, b- before you came onto the chat, we were talking about um, uh, Charles Xavier um, in X Men. Um, Patrick Stewart. There we go. Um, and you know how unnecessary that it was that Patrick Stewart played him. There is you know there is no reason at all why that couldn't have been. A person with a disability, someone who is in a wheelchair um, at all um, I'm sure they would happily cast someone who is actually a wheelchair to be a villain, like no doubt about it
1: uh, the question is, do I want to be in a film that they considered Patrick Stewart for <laughs> like because the x men films are not great and um, but I. Ah, uh, it, again, it's a really weird one because it comes down to again the economics of it, and you know Patrick Stewart would put bombs on seats as as did um, McAvoy mm. in X Men First Class, the only good X Men film. Well, Logan put a little hat in the ring for the Oh, Lord. but that's not an, that, That's <laughs> is that an X Men film, yeah, don't or worry. is that like L- Logan? Because Logan's incredible. Logan's origins of Wolverine could have been had it not been written by monkeys on typewriters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about. Now. Uh, oh, I've gotten. But
1: I also think we, when it comes to this debate, we should be looking forward. I think it's really mm. easy to look back yeah. and and pick things apart. And and this whole ridiculous cancel culture thing that we've now got got going on, where HBO removed, in light of recent events, um, HBO removed Gone with the Wind from its library. Or that there's now a warning at the start of Alien, because the Hispanic character isn't being played by a Hispanic actress, saying, these don't reflect the the times we live in now. And it's just like, well, watch Come As You Are. Yeah, it does. one, and. No, we we can look back and pick holes in things and, and get all angry about that. But I think you need to let art exist and breathe and be viewed um, in the time and through the lens of when it was created. You can still have opinions on it, but I don't think we need to start cancelling things or or, or burning, burning things. And I think those need to be used as important milestones to look at how far we've come, and without those, there's no frame of reference uh, for progress. And also, a lot of them are brilliant films.
2: Yeah, that is a um, it's a difficult one. I think because um, a lot of stuff's been taken off more recently. And uh, part of me, it's
0: hard because it's something it has, we, yeah. you know we can learn from, isn't it? Like to see like how it's not you know how it's not been handled well in the past, you know. There's a lot of learning to be done from it. I don't think, you know, we're on very thin ice at the moment, are we? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's some things, um, you know, that I think it just depends. It's almost kind of like I was saying with um, Tropic Thunder and how people are watching that. Are they watching it to see it as the satire on Hollywood as it is? Or are you watching it to be like, ha ha ha, they're making fun of people who have, a learning disability and using the R word about it. I've recently found this with a show which I think is incredible and really is like as pretty much as satirical as it gets. And that's um it's always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's and so good. I know, right? Yeah, but sometimes like if you go on like if you watch a clip of it on YouTube or something and you go through the comments, it's like people don't realize they're they're satirizing. And it's like, oh yeah, that's that's what I'm like. That's good. That's funny. It's so bizarre. Like, you, and you don't think about it. Like, we'll watch something, um, you know, and then when it does touch on something that uh, you know, which is when they did when Mac did that dance, um, it's all them that are complaining in the comments, be like, oh, this is, uh, what? This is what I signed up for. A piece of art about uh, uh, coming to terms with your sexuality. I want to see him say horrible stuff about minorities.
1: <laughs> uh, I want him to convince Dee she's funny when she isn't and make her <laughs> have sex with gross people. Uh. <laughs> Give I me Sundergun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's always Sonny does it really well overall, though, because you learn to hate the characters
1: mm. as people. I, so I don't have doing. a character. I don't have a character I like in that show. I have one I yeah. hate less than the rest.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it is, it is commentary on the way people are and the way that people behave around certain issues when they're presented with them. And that, that shitty people are shitty. Yeah. And that's kind of what, at least the, the, the comedy I take from it is just how awful they are. Yeah. How I can still place that amongst people that I've met in my life. And as someone that's not like that, it's almost comical at points to think, how can you be that yeah. ridiculous?
0: And the fact that people are watching it and being like,
1: yeah, I agree with this. Yeah. This is mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, might... I'm just like, I'm just like Frank. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what no, no, yeah, just not. like Dennis. Oh, uh, <laughs> I trap someone in a room. <laughs> i like, well, um, raise a Nazi flag during a kid's game. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of kind
0: of, sort of linked. It's something I've been thinking about recently and how in kind of uh, comedy shows and films, like how disability is represented in that. Now, it's very rare, I think, these days where you get um, like a comedy film or programme which is kind of like, haha, look at the disabled person. It's often, ha-ha, look at the person uncomfortable around the disabled person and that makes me feel like well what you're saying here is we should feel uncomfortable when we're around people with disabilities. I wonder if you, is that something you agree with?
1: Ah, here, here's, because pe- people do feel uncomfortable around around disability, there's, there's no getting away from that and I think they're making fun of the people who feel uncomfortable more than the um, more than the disabled person. Um, have you seen the... Have you, do you watch South Park?
0: Uh, not for a long time.
1: They get a new principal called PC Principal who's hilarious. And he, he comes up holding the school paper going, who says spokesman instead of spokesperson? Who have excluded women from an important, powerful role in this school paper? I'm going to find them and I'm going to break their legs. And then they go, it's that guy. And they point to Jimmy, who's on crutches because his legs don't work. And then they're just like, so go on, PC principal, you're going to break his legs? And it's this awkward moment that they leave hanging for, for so long. And I think comedy is a really good way of discussing those issues. Because in comedy, it's either okay to talk about everything or you shouldn't be talking about anything. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate for highlighting this disability in comedy. Mm.
0: But uh, yeah, I just wonder if you know it—it it kind of strengthens the idea that you know we should feel uncomfortable. Um, again, it's it's all down to you know how you're watching it and the person watching it and how they interpret it, isn't it? So hey, the,
1: the example right, I think of is um, why do people why do people feel uncomfortable? Yeah, is the question they should be asking if they're sitting there watching. Oh, I'm not sure. I quite like that joke. Why? You know, go, go a bit deeper with that thought. And anything that can trigger that thought or start that conversation, in my mind, can only be, can only be a good thing. There is, there's always going to be a minority of people that will watch that kind of thing and be like, yeah, disabled people are worthless. And you're, they're, they're gone. There's, there's no point in even having that conversation with mm. that very small minority of, of modern-day eugenicists want a a better terminology but those people that are like on the peripheral who are are kind of somewhat engaging but not fully if that's the thing that it takes to push them over that hurdle and be like okay I'm going to have this chat with someone that can only be a beautiful thing
2: that's like a really positive way of looking at it to be fair I've not really thought about that sort of yeah I've not sort of thought about presentation and comedy in that way yeah it's a cool it's a yeah it's an interesting take on it i think
0: um and there's something we've kind of touched upon before um comedy wise is you know is there i mean is can it create an a uh, kind of air of i can't remember what the phrase you used was it playground imitation so we mainly Kind of talked about this in terms of uh, Derek um, the mm-hmm. Rahuna base thing, where he he like kind of very strongly you know defends that character, whereas others see it as just another thing for people to imitate on the playground, much like um, the guy, I think it was like in the 70s, uh, who was on Blue Peter or something who had cerebral yes. palsy and that just uh,
1: Joe, Joey Deacon.
0: Yes, Joey Deacon that's the one um, you know, is there is that a risk, you know with the more
1: I is people people that were going to do that were going to do it anyway there was always going to be something that, 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 that forces people to behave on on that level and no no one in the 70s watched Joey Deacon on Peter and became an arsehole like they they were that way inclined anyway and that was their matter narrative irrespective irrespective of that so I, I think there is very much a line where you don't want to be being crash and offensive for the sake of being crash and offensive. But by the same token, I think when it comes to disability there are boundaries that need to be pushed and things that need to be highlighted. And there, there are ways of going about it that are helpful and unhelpful. I, <clears throat> I think um, Andy from Little Britain yeah, no, all um, did more damage to disability mm. than Derek.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I agree. And, I, yeah, I was just... I was I think what I was kind of getting at was, you know, those characters are being played by non-disabled people. I wonder if it just kind of gives it that, well, if they can do it, why can't we? Kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Um. Totally, and I... You know, I've I've tweeted my thoughts on this to to Ricky Gervais. I said, if you ever need an actual disabled person in Series 3 of Afterlife, call me. I'm very much, very much willing to have the chat, Mr. Mr. Gervais. But then again, I think, would they make the same decision again? Or are there now disabled actors out there? Because another argument you hear is that well if a disabled person does it, it isn't really acting, is it? And I'm like, Come come again? Yeah. Well if a disabled person <laughs> that's is that's doing that. it, it you isn't. You say that about an able body person, like <laughs> it, 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 it isn't it isn't around. it isn't really acting. Yeah. And I'm that's like, so wrong. what you so so what you're telling me is in, in anything Idrisoga has ever <laughs> done where he plays a black man, he isn't acting. <laughs> that's, that's your argument. Or anything that Reese Witherspoon's ever done, where she plays a blonde woman, isn't, isn't acting. Oh, but in that, she becomes a lawyer. And I'm just like, so you think that in real life, I walk around Glasgow doing my shopping at night in an awful coat because people piss me off. Good luck with that. That's gonna, that attitude's going to serve you really, really well. And oh, it just boils disabled people and disabled actors down to just the medical side of their disability and, and yeah. nothing else. It, it's a ridiculous argument made yeah. by ridiculous people. <laughs> cool.
0: Wow, I think we can just about wrap up there. Uh, no, thank you it so great. much, Adam. It's been
1: really great. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Like I say, it's always an important conversation yeah. to to be having and it's one I've got no doubt that we're all going to continue to have and, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm more than open to it if people want to have the chat with me in a, in a kind of respectful dignified way then I'm I'm all it if you want to tweet me happy days if you want to sit down and get coffee happy days if you tweet me and call me a knob that's a whole <laughs> other issue then then that, that's the one way to block town yeah
0: and if people do want to tweet you, where, where can they tweet you? What's your handle? You I guess? can get
1: me on... I, I, I got to Twitter really early and got my real name, at Adam underscore Pearson.
0: Lovely. Oh, nice. Is that the best, the best place to...
1: That's where I hang out the most.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Oh, thank you so much, Adam. It's been yeah, really good. Cool. So
1: anytime, guys. Anytime. Wow. Thanks for having me on and Not have a good day. Well.
0: Yeah, oh, you too, man. Thanks. So, me and Tom will stay on just to we record our intro and our outro a little bit separately.
1: So, uh. okay, cool. I will leave it. I know where I'm not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me. It's like it's like are all over again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> Take care, guys.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: Whoa. Oh a, what a interview. What a interview.
0: Huge thank you to Adam to, yeah, for making the great. time.
2: Jokes aside. Um, that was very good. Very interesting. Yeah, had a lot of fun
0: there. in that chat. Um, as he just said, you can follow him at Adam underscore Pearson on Twitter. Uh, and he mentioned a few things. He's been in there under the skin and one that involved the word chains. If you Google it, you can find it. Uh, that sounds really interesting, and I'm probably going to do that once we finish. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Where can you find us, Jack? We, you can find us at Challenging Pod on Twitter. And you can yeah. search Challenging Behaviours Podcast on Facebook.
2: It's been a week since our last one, so it's hopefully we're closer to our goal. It's been thousand followers.
0: It's been one week since your last time,
2: and hopefully we're closer to a thousand followers. <laughs>
0: It's been, you don't, you don't get my reference. No, I'm just. It's to been I don't know what one you're week. About. It's been one week since you looked at me. I don't know what this is. Oh. Chickety China. Nope. Doesn't know the bare naked ladies. All right. Uh, that was great. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can do the, the things I just said. And there's also Challenging Behaviours Podcast at gmail.com. Um, still on the hunt for a few more guests. Um, whilst we're here, well, let's, we could just say a few topics we're interested in talking about. And that might spur people to get in touch and say, oh, I'd love to talk about this. So um. we were talking, we said we wanted to do have a chat about sexuality. Hmm. Uh,
2: Inter- um, intersectionality with, uh, like, the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm quite interested in that and protesting in general.
0: Yeah. Um. Something I'm very interested to talk about is uh, with someone who maybe has potentially uh, self-diagnosed. So, say something with autism, and they've self-diagnosed. I think that'd be a really interesting thing to discuss. Um. So maybe if you have know anyone, or you think. That's up my alley. Uh, you're good. Go. Another thing I'd quite like to do is like a, almost like a top 10 of like everyday ableism. So if that's something you feel like, oh, I'd love to do that. Um, get in touch. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a plan. What a plan. Uh, and yeah, and if you get in touch with us, it means less work for us. It's great. Um. All right, well, yeah, do do the whole liking, subscribing. Five stars, of course. Give us a review. Give us a review. Um, if after you've heard me say it last week, uh, you've started watching MasterChef New Zealand, uh, please do get in touch. It's particularly, well, I've watched season two, not season one. So if you've watched season two, get in touch so we can, you know, I can't describe what happens in the final, Tom. It's it's some of the most shocking television I've ever seen.
2: Okay. I'll, um, I might as well check it out.
0: Wow. <laughs> Anything by the end of this six-week run. <laughs> that show has gained some new viewers. That's all yeah. I ask. All right, then. Cool. Cool. Well, see you next week. See you
1: next week. Hopefully. Bye-ya.